Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 99%. My name is Jesse Vondercheck. I am here with Elliot. Hey, Elliot Bassett. Yeah. And Marilyn. Yo, what's up? And we are kind of smack in the middle of our spring intro kickoff the season training block of, of podcasts. We talked to you guys a little bit about how to structure your training, maybe how you can periodize that training. We talked about nutrition, kind of hitting, hitting around some various aspects of, of training and, and preparing in order to kind of like stay in line with that theme today, we're going to talk to you about the mental side of training. Um, I entered the sports world as a swimmer, which meant I was getting ready for mostly events that were less than a minute or some, I guess, less than two minutes in duration. So in order to get ready for them, I, I worked on focusing for, let's say, 25 to 52 seconds, which at that point in my life was actually pretty hard to really knuckle down for like 25 solid seconds in a row. But, um, but it was pretty easy to practice that every single time you went to the pool and, you know, you put in thousands and thousands of minutes of swimming in order to get ready for 25, 52 seconds of perfect swimming. So you got to rehearse your event and, and practice being perfect and practice what you were thinking about and knowing exactly what was going to happen when it happened over and over again. And even before the race, you could sit there with a stopwatch for 25 seconds and watch the clock and know where you were in the pool and what you were doing and, and really get a good handle on the entire the entire race, the entire, what your brain was going to be doing during the race and, and map it out because to do that for 25 seconds or 52 seconds is, is pretty, is pretty manageable. I, I remember want to butt in yeah, and, and just make it known that everyone who's listening to this podcast, who's a good swimmer is making fun of your PRs and everyone who is not a good swimmer is amazed that you can swim a 50 in 25 seconds. Uh, I swam butterfly in college. So just let's be clear. That's here. not that good of an excuse. But <laughs> <so>. <laughs> um, I mean, I was kind of, yeah, the time, the amount of time is, is irrelevant except for the fact that it's re- it's seconds. It's short. I remember lying on the pier before my first Kona being like trying to wrap my head around the race as I was sitting there and it was like super nervous. And I was like, this is, this is a lot different. This is a long time to try and think about focusing for. And, and I, uh, you know, I wasn't, I definitely was not ready to focus for that long at that point. And, um, and I had to learn, had to learn like what to do, how to stay focused, what to think about, what, what should be going through my head? Because I had a lot of random things going through my head that, that first, that first time around. And, um, you know, I, can't, I think it took a couple of long races to realize just the difference between a 25 second race and, uh, you know, an eight, nine, 10, 12 hour race. Um, so we're going to talk about some things that might help you in training in order to prepare for some of those, those longer, longer events, whether it be a longer training session, whether it be what you need to do now to get ready for a longer race in the future, but how to, how to build that mental base so you can kick ass when, when racing comes around. Um, Elliot's smiling at that. What, a what, what say you, what, what should we be doing right now to, uh, to get ready mentally? Uh, the easiest thing would be 
every workout you do, not at me, well, we'll get to that in a bit, but most workouts you do, you should have, in my opinion, something you're executing mentally, whether it's like a form cue. I know we wanted to talk about cueing. Um, so whether it's a form cue or just kind of you having something to think about that's really specific to your swim, to your bike, to your run, whether it's hand placement in the swim, kind of how you're situated on the saddle on your bike, uh, or staying real, you know, relaxed breathing when you're running something along those lines, just being aware of the present moment, I guess is what I would say. And then, uh, and practicing that in bits and pieces and in different ways when applicable. So like, you know, that's kind of like the, the physical aspect is you're using that form cue to help be in the, in the present moment, like with knowing what you're doing physically, but then there's also a lot of cues you can talk about with what your, what your mind is thinking about. Right. So you're not always thinking about the pizza and beer you're going to eat after the race. eh? Well, Um, that's very Canadian of you. eh? (laughs) (laughs) uh, Marilyn, did you want to jump in? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, Jesse made some good points. So I think the first thing that we need to touch on is, you know, primarily our audience is triathletes and, and our, you know, our sport is long. So, you know, if you're talking about sports where it's a reactionary type sport, it's, you know, uh, swim under a minute, you're starting off the blocks, track cyclists, that kind of thing. What is the mental preparation and training, mental training? Because in all of these cases, what we're, what we really want to talk about today is how do we develop those skills so that when we show up at competition, we're as well prepared as mentally as we are physically. So that takes training and it takes a training plan to be able to do that. And, and knowing how we, how do we get to that place instead of just showing up and saying, Oh, I'm mentally focused today. Well, we need a strategy and we need a plan and we need skills to practice. So are you working on a reactionary type sport? And that's, that's a different set of skills and a different maybe mental training plan to be prepared for that. Or are you in a sport that is, requires a long focus over a period of time. So first thing I think you want to identify is what is your sport and how long is it? And then to me, the next steps would be, you know, really identifying where do you compete the best, right? So, you know, Jesse, you, without even knowing it, started talking about things like visualization and we can get into that where, whether you're a feel visualizer or you're a C visualizer, those types of things. And um, Elliot, you started talking about cues. These are all things that become part of your, your planning and your focus plan. But first, if we know, okay, am I a, in a reactionary type sport or am I in a, a longer distance sport where I'm going to have to manage emotion and manage um, focus? Once we know that, then we need to look at ourselves and say, what type of athlete uh, am I and where do I mentally perform absolutely the best? And the, the first task that you need to do is similar to training, physical training is start keeping a log. And what you'll notice in all of those sessions that you talk about, Elliot, is, um, you know, in hard sessions, in, in easy sessions, in, you know, very specific race type sessions, in those C races, what emotions do you have the days before, the night before, the morning of, in your warm-up, right before and during, in your most success, successful performances, and then the ones, everything in between the, and right down to your least successful. And if you start logging exactly what those emotions are. So for me, you know, I, if I know, okay, I need to be, I need to be happy, I need to be relaxed, I need to be um, you know, focused, these types of things. Someone else who has a really maybe um, 
you know, we can talk even about arousal levels, those types of things. So there's a lot of different things to look at and, and how I know everyone's going to chuckle when you hear that, but it's like how, what state, some people can co- show up at the, at, you know, game day a little bit too, just, you know, a little bit too sleepy and not, not on the game enough. And other people will be a little bit too excited and too nervous. And how do we manage that? So figuring out what distance and what type of event are you preparing for the same way we do physically, we need to identify that mentally. And then what, type of athlete you are, where are your strengths and weaknesses, and where do you perform best, discovering that through a training log. And then, you know, I I think we're going to go through this podcast where we're going to give you some tasks and some, you know, very specific exercises you can do to, to pin this down and then put it into practice in your training program so that by the time you get to race day, you know exactly what to do and you know exactly how to get to that mental state so you compete the best every single time. So sorry, that was a little long winded, but no, that, that, that was, was good. good. Can I can I jump in quick, Elliot? I can't tell if yep. you're chomping over there. I was just going to comment on on the the training, the writing down a log or, or or journaling. I think is is such a powerful tool for for so many applications that we kind of think we know what's going on, and then we write it down. And you know, again, this can be in applied to any aspect of of your life. But you write it down, you look at it over time, and it's it it can be drastically different. Than you actually, than what you actually think is going on. And, and so, yeah, I think it'd be super powerful to know, like, like when you do have those good sessions, like, how were you feeling going in? How are like, what was your emotional state? And, and, you know, I, you can think you're an angry racer, but then all of a sudden you look back at those training sessions where you were like, you know, laughing with a friend and hitting your best power numbers. And it's like, well, maybe you're actually a happy racer and you just don't know it. And yeah, you, you can really, I mean, yeah, I've learned a lot about where I need to be mentally f- from from doing that, and it's not at all what I thought. So I think that's a really good activity just for for almost anything you can you can keep a journal for. And so I think that's a good first point or one of the, the many points to make. Yeah, one of the most important things about the the journal, the whether it's a training journal or in this case like a, a mental mental notes journal, is if you have one please go back and look at it and like spend <laughs> some time looking at it because it's the number of times that I've had an athlete. So I, I have a, a, a giant stack of notebooks going back for the past 15 years. And I've gone back like t- six notebooks, eight notebooks back to look at some, some comments on what I thought was in my head from an emotion that an athlete had. And I write it down and they, maybe they're not journaling and then you're, and they say they feel one way about, how something went three years ago. And you're like, no, I have it in the notes. You literally told me X, Y, Z. And it's, and it's different from your memory because our memory is, is malleable. And I think a lot of people forget that. Um, anyways, I just wanted to throw that point off before we go on. Yeah. I mean, you'll start to discover over a period of time, I've done some work with a sports psychologist for like 10 years. Um, and, and we went as detailed as, you know, logging, that sort of that map of where you're feeling on those days. But we even went as deep as logging what your heart rate was during those times. And then at what, what performance state mentally, and then what that did to you physically to be prepared to perform at your best. And what you'll notice is the more you are aware of where that sweet spot is, not only will you know what that feels like, but you'll start to really understand when you're not there. And, and that's as important as knowing what it is. And when you recognize 
hey, I'm just about to do one of my most focused sessions that's a key session toward my race, or I'm about to stand on the start line right before maybe you've got like a dock start and it's a really fast swim start. If you are leading into that and you recognize, hey, I'm not in that state where I know I perform the best, this is where we can start to even integrate those, you know, the, the idea of the keywords. So now for every good performance you ever do, you're keeping a log of where that emotional state is and maybe some words that mean something to you that bring you to that place every single time, you know, and that's going to be personal to you. On the contrary, every time you have bad performances, what mental state and emotion did you have? And what are some feelings and words that were creeping into your head at that time? And so once you know what those are, you can create very single cue words, or like you were talking about, Elliot, very cue Maybe they're even directly related to a body movement, a hand carriage, a cadence, a thought, um, and that, you know, that, and, and you recognize, okay, I'm not there right now, and I need to be in the next 20 minutes. You recognize the bad words that maybe are coming into your head that's putting you not in your best performance state. You have your list of, I call them camp combat words that will bring you into that emotional state where you know you're going to be ready and prepared and to compete at your best. And you start shifting that. And that's those cue words that you can directly relate to not only um, physically, but emotionally and mentally and, and turn what might have dominoed into a really bad performance. Boom. All of a sudden you're like, I'm ready to rock and roll. I know exactly what I'm going to do. It's very clear. I feel it in my, you know, in my hands and my arms and my, you know, in my breathing, all of those kinds of things. So uh, I don't know what you guys, if you've had some experience with that. Uh, totally. No, I think, I think that's awesome advice. And I, I can, I can think back to so many races where I've been on, on that spectrum of, of, I guess, arousal just for fun. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, the, the races where I'm just way too amped up I mean, for, for an Ironman start. And then the other races where I'm not quite there and, and miss the swim. Um, I just, I was just curious if you had like, uh, an example of say like a combat word and, and that, that you've used with an athlete that, that kind of helps them get in say that, that middle somewhere, you know, I, I don't know if, if like the middle is like a normal place where you have to get athletes, but just to, to go with the middle. Yeah. You know what? I'll use myself as a, an example and I'll even remove it from um, our sport just to, just to give people a different perspective. Uh, when I was doing show jumping and I was, you know, show jumping at a Grand Prix level. So the, you know, the jumps were huge. They were terrifying. It all happened really fast. Um, this is where, you know, that visualization that you talked about came into play. So the morning before a major, major Grand Prix, you would go and walk the course and, you know, would you I, actually do the jumps yourself beforehand? You would not do the jumps <laughs> okay, yourself, just... but you would walk, walk the course and pace it out. And there were times where like all those fears and negative thoughts and, and I found that I would start to really rush my visualization and I would start to feel tense. And I actually couldn't see myself or feel myself go through the event from start to finish with calm breathing. And I would, all these negative things would come, come up on me. And, and it was always in a very fast and skipping over sections of the movie reel in my head when I was in those states. So I would actually go and maybe under a jump that was you know, fearful for me or something like that. And I would sit underneath it and breathe in a, in a pattern that was slow until I could see and feel my, and myself go through the entire from start to finish. And every single time one of those like rush states and negative 
fearful, um, you know, feelings came into my head, I would say, um, confident and relax, confident and relax, confident and relax. And then what happened was, as I was out, I had, I had rehearsed it and been there so many times in the hours in the morning leading before, but by the time I was out there and I was headed towards that jump, all I needed to say was confident and relaxed and my body did exactly what it's supposed to. And again, you're successful versus, you know, in that moment tightening up and, you know, not really knowing what to do and it, it can domino pretty quickly. I think an endurance sport for, for myself, I was, um, you know, that's off a very quick sport, very reactionary type sport. It's very rehearsed sport. And the long distance triathlon for me, an issue was uh, staying focused for that long. I'd be like, what are all my friends doing? You know, like, I'd be like, I'm a pretty social person and I'm more of a dynamic racer. That's why I like bike racing. I love crit racing. Um, so I was, you know, like out there time trialing for 180 kilometers going, holy crap, like I am bored. And so I needed to, I literally would write on my tap, top tube, a little sticky piece of paper and tape it down. And it would say like, you know, stay on task. That's all it said, stay on task. And that for me kept me, you know, if I'd get a little distracted, I would just look at that something real simple, stay on task. And so most of these combat words or cue words for, for most people are short. They're not a sentence. They're just a couple of words that always bring you back there. Sorry. I've been doing a lot of talking. I'll let you guys take over here. Sorry. <laughs> oh, thank you. Finally get the mic back, man. Oh my God. I'm so uh, glad. <laughs> no, thank so. you for that specific example. Um, I'm just going to cut Elliot off a little longer here and then I'll let him talk. Um, I, uh, I just wanted to throw in there that I, I wanted to give us a specific example because I think we all tend to think we're, you know, individual flowers, but I think that there are probably like 20, whatever, really good combat words that we all probably share. And, and it's not like an infinite number of words that could be anything. It's, it's, there are a few words that help different types of people be on task in the moment, ready to go. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was good to hear, hear a couple of good ones that might, might work well for a lot of people or give people a good, like kind of launch pad for, for things they could start wrapping their head around. Sorry, Elliot. No, you're good. You finally get to Jim. talk between the two of us. <laughs> no, you guys are good. So, I, um, Marilyn, you were talking about show jumping, which is like kind of your, your first major sport in your life. Is that fair to say? And, and then how that kind of cha changed, developed your outlook, um, both in the coaching world, but also as an athlete. And so like, I was, I wrestled quite a bit growing up and wrestling is, is you and one other person. And so oftentimes it's reactionary or you're like, forcing your will um and and race right so if somebody does a various move to you you respond immediately but you don't have time to think right it's it's immediate you just have to go and and the same thing is you can force something on somebody the same way if you're gonna actively ride off the front in a in a long distance triathlon and you're gonna force the pace so you're both in control and out of control of a wrestling match, very much the same way in a long distance triathlon. And the way that's shaped my personal like coaching philosophy is, is, uh, is seen. So like the reason I use keywords in training is because I want somebody to just like be focused on the movement and being in control of the movement and so whether it's their breathing or whatever form word they have to use, 
I want people like essentially practicing a mini race every day. And they're not actually racing, but they're practicing some of the cues. And so it might be just being relaxed in a certain specific way to their running stride while they're running, or it might be their early vertical forearm in the swim, or it might be a certain rotation pattern that they either need or don't need in the swim. And they're doing small amounts of that rotation. And then when you have harder workouts, I often want people to cue in on, you were talking about what is their race? I want them to cue in on to, okay, what is their biggest race they're focusing on? What is that pace? What does that feel like? And then just find that rhythm. Often it correlates to a power or heart rate, but what it really correlates is to a rhythm. And so we're just dialing in day after day their skill. And then what's the level they can push themselves to. And, and then when you get into a race, I don't necessarily think about people getting too high or too low. I have them focused on how do they execute that skill because at the end of the day it's like well everybody's good until they get punched in the face and everyone gets punched in the face in a trap one like you know like by the time you're halfway through the run it hurts and so i want people to know i mean it does jesse yeah um, I, I agree it hurts a lot <laughs> so so like that's my personal background but it it differs and and like various people have different keywords and i think i have a hard time personally grasping like how you were saying certain things and i know like my way is not the only way it's just like how my brain functions to see it well and so that's ultimately how i end up coaching it cuz i can explain it the best anyways take it away yeah. jesse no i i'd love to add to that is that with you know one of the most common questions i get with swimming is you know oh should i bilateral breathe for these workouts or should i you know, breathe like I do in a race for this workout. And I, you know, I'll say whatever you're going to race with, stick with that. And that, and it goes to that comment you made, Elliot, about rhythm, because when we're put, if you practice the same thing every single day, when you're going easy, when you're going hard, when you're going moderate, when you're dialing into those body cues at different effort levels, if once you're put under pressure in a race environment, the last thing you want to be trying to figure out is your rhythm that should be something you can default to and know exactly what that feels like to be able to relax, right. And relax into that, you know, that stress and, and those, that's all the part of the mental cues. So whether you associate your mental cues with a specific, you know, pattern or rhythm, and even for the people that they, I've had this, you know, come up in races are like, I just can't turn my brain off. I can't stop it from being flooded with too many things. I'll say, just start counting, you know, just focus on a number. Because if you take it away from words, sometimes words can be a trigger for someone to open floodgates that they can't turn off. And so the next strategy might be, okay, if we, if the words aren't working or the sensations and rhythm within your body aren't working, what's the next thing that we can work on? Say, it might be a count or a number where that's going to completely disassociate the brain into just thinking about that and it'll bring the athlete back to a good performance. So these again are things that you can practice in training. You develop these skills over easy sessions, hard sessions, stressful sessions, that kind of thing. And, and all of a sudden, you know, when you're faced with that in a competition, you know how to bring yourself there every single time. That's the main thing about this is that none of this should be new to you once you're competing, just like in training, right? I mean, we we train the body so that by the time we get in a race, none of it is new to us. We know exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And I think all of these 
you know, pieces that we're giving people are things to put into practice into your training that's, um, that's going to help you with that. Um, yeah, no, I agree with that. And I think that it's, uh, I, I think the other thing I, I have done and talked to people about is like when, when you are getting flooded, like with, with too many thoughts, I, you know, you can, I, I just like to sometimes direct them. Like if I can't control them completely, I can say, okay, well, what do I want to be thinking about? And I can kind of like navigate through that storm of thoughts and say, I'm, I want to think about riding the bike. So I can move on to just say cycling thoughts and then get that in kind of like rein in those thoughts. So you're kind of moving them in the right direction. Um, I, I don't like to get into numbers. That just gets crazy, but, uh, but yeah. And yeah. Um, okay. So I guess the, the other thing I just wanted to, to talk about too, is that the keywords for, for the mental state, I think can be really important depending on, on the type of race you're at. Like you guys are talking about rhythm and, and all that. And I think that's, that's really important. But then if it's more dynamic, like we talked a little bit about the swim start and I think that that sets up the whole race. So it's, it's really important to be in the right state of mind there. And I talked a little bit how I've blown swim starts in the past. And, and one of the ways I've done that has been too keyed up and too just like ready to go. And I get myself in a great position in the swim, but I, I do that in an inappropriate manner. And then all of a sudden I explode and I'm back floating. And then I've got to try and figure out how to keep moving forward. And, and that's, it's not because I did anything different. I mean, I did some things differently in the swim, but mostly I was like mentally not ready to start the swim. I was more focused on what everyone else is doing and, and being in the right spot and doing anything to get there not thinking about where I needed to be mentally in order to be doing the right things physically. So I think that controlling that headspace from the go can really be a, a good way to set up your race and, and, and practicing that. Like, I guess that's what we're trying to get back to here is staying away from racing as much, but saying, what can I do in the pool right now to get ready for a really hard start in seven weeks? Uh, so so that's one thing where I think like a workout design can, you want to give a workout for someone in your situation who's having trouble with the swim start, how, okay, I need to go fast to get on feet, but I can't go so fast. I blow up. Now it's not maybe the best physiological workout to do some hard, short, fast, high intensity swimming early in the set, and then settle into a specific, like in your case, 1900 meter race swim or half Ironman or Ironman race swim but it's really good practice. Okay. You're going to do five, six, 700, you know, maybe do 12 fifties fast for you on the 45. Right. And you're just like hitting really high speeds. Um, and then you're smoked and then you're going to settle into your Ironman pace. It gives you an idea of like, how hard can I push that first set before I blow up halfway through? And it's maybe not the ideal swim workout to get your best threshold for your swim, but it's practice that you don't have to do the whole Ironman to learn how to do that. And that's one way you could do that with a work, like allow a workout to then teach you how to have the right meant to make the right decision mid race. And just to add to that, I think when I do those workouts, there's things I should be thinking about, right? Cause I can hit really high speeds by kicking mm -hmm. like crazy and that skyrockets my heart rate. And that's what I do wrong in the, in the swim when I get popped. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's using the physical and mental to say, okay, like I need to swim really fast. I need to do that by staying relaxed in control and by pulling hard, not by relying on my, my kick, because that is not going to bode well in the start of an Ironman. So it's like, 
I think it's like combining all those things in order to, to be ready physically and mentally to swim appropriately when the time comes. Yeah. That's where the journal would come in. Yeah. And I think, I mean, literally to, to use it as a example, you know, you're about to push off the wall and go hard. You might be saying in rhythm with your stroke, you know, control, pull, control, pull, control, pull. And that's all you say over and over again. That's these cue words we're talking about. Like how do how does an athlete actually apply this into those specific training sessions that you're talking about? There is, you know, you can set up that training session and then you know what your issue is. You know where you see all these steps that we're talking about. You know exactly the state you need to, to be in in order to not make that mistake. And so your cue words literally might be every single 50 that you're clocking off. You're just saying, you know, control, pull, control, pull. And that alone will just take your kick out of it. And all of a sudden you notice, hey, I'm doing it without thinking about it too much. Because if you start thinking about the whole sentence, and if you even start saying kick less in my head, our brain, when we're under pressure, won't hear the kick less. It'll just hear kick. And you'll all of a sudden be kicking like crazy. So what you need to be saying, the important part of this whole thing is the cue words need to be directed towards what you want to be doing, not what you don't What's... want to be doing. It needs to be very specific about what you want to be doing. So you wouldn't say like a whole sentence with the word somewhere in their kick, because it wouldn't end up when soon as you're under in the heat of the moment, all your body's going to do is kick. So that's why I say your two cue words might be troll pull or strong pull or something, whatever works for you. If you say that over and over again in that rhythm timing, all of a sudden you got it. I, I just want everyone to be very clear. Like in all things in coaching, this is the most important thing I learned in college. Like I went to school for exercise physiology. The number one thing I learned that was applicable to coaching is always say what you want somebody to do. Not, do never tell them what you don't want them to do. I've had to like bend over backwards to make that statement like ring true, but that's the most important thing in coaching. And that's probably the most important thing any of us has said in the podcast so far, like yeah. in any, in any of the podcasts is like what you just said about how to direct the swim. Like that's, that's it. Absolutely. I mean, especially if you're coaching on deck or you're coaching like out on the bikes or on the track on the run or something like that. Remember your brain and what you hear is usually only the last word. So if you say don't blah, 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 they're only going to hear blah, blah, blah. Right. So you, that's like, you know, yeah, exactly. With, with any of these keywords, or even if you are a coach uh, trying to give people keywords, always use one specific word and know they're going to hear the last thing. And you want that last one word to be exactly what it is that you want them to do. So very, very specific. What do you guys feel about, like, one thing I do is, is somebody just has a single word they say, right? So like, it, like, it could be forward, or like, I used to like, literally use like nonsense words like pocketa, and like, that would mean something to me, right? And you'd like, just repeat that word, because that, that word had a feeling, like a form feeling. Do you guys try to use that? Because I've had athletes like have pretty obscure words that all of a sudden I'm learning. Cause I'm like, Oh, what's something that like would cue what we want you to be doing. And some, some like two or three ideas up, like not just one sentence, but almost like a paragraph up into one word. And then it turns into a feeling and like, you can develop that. And that's, that's one a, thing. That's exactly what the log is for word for word. What yeah. you just said, absolutely. 100%. That's exactly what yeah. the, the whole skill development of what we're talking about today for people to 
discover and log through in training and then practice. And then that is, that word is what's going to make them perform well when, when it's at the heat of the moment, when it's go time. Exactly. You've, you've just summarized that. Absolutely. Perfect. And it, yeah. Like, and so I just, oh, sorry. Go, go, no, for, go it, for it. Sorry. I was oh, just so going like, to <laughs> for me, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm talking, uh, for me, like that, that meant like I developed that when I was, when I was basically 18 years old, running a hundred mile weeks. Um, and that, that meant look 50 meters down the road. That meant keep my head up, like keep my posture high. That meant keep my arms relaxed. That meant have a certain breathing rhythm and have a certain cadence and, and like my arms flowed in a certain way. So that's like one word. It's a nonsense word that meant all of those things. And each of those things was really specific to my form. And you, as a coach or as just self-coaching your athlete, like you can develop that over time. And those notes are great. Um, But also like recognize that you don't want to copy someone else's thing. You have to develop that by yourself. So that's that. Awesome job. I, uh, I'm not going to add anything because that was great uh, to both of you. So let's, let's move on to like slight, like that, that mental focus for the, the longer say sessions and yeah, those, those bigger back-to-back weekends, how do you get mentally prepared? How do you mentally chunk off a, a large workout or a large string of workouts or I guess, and how, I guess that leads into the large races, but just to look at the workouts for now, do you guys have, have mental tools to help people tackle large training. Jesse, what's the most important part about a well-paced race? What's a well-paced race? Well, the beginning. I know like you were, you've talked to me specifically about this in, in your Ironmans, like the early part of the race is every good race has a good early part, a a good beginning. So how do you have good, how do you have a good month of solid training? Well, you don't blow it at the beginning. You have to be well paced and reserved and patient at the beginning. I think that's for me it is having the strength to be patient early in a race or early in a training block or early in part of a training block um, is really, really hard to do. And you have to kind of remind yourself of that. And so kind of a guideline for me is like, if your training's fun or it's exciting or it's, it's challenging, but not like scary or it could be relaxing or social like a training block can have all of those things early on but if it's scary and intimidating from day one then your first couple of days are probably too hard if it's scary and intimidating on your last day before your break well then that's okay it's your last day does that make sense yeah totally but what if that's just kind of how you live right what if you're one of those people that are you kind of scared and intimidated by like everything and you you can't you know, you can't look at just that first day. Cause that's not what you see. You see the entire giant workout or the entire like training camp that's before you and you're just freaked out. And so like, yeah, what do you, so what do for, you do? I, I, I simplify it right down to just one rep at a time. That's something I'll say is just focus on the task at hand one rep at a time. I mean, you know, you know what the big picture is and you're, you're aware, but just staying, focused on what you're doing in that moment, just staying in the moment and, and really not getting ahead of yourself past that point, then, you know, that seems to really bring everything back just a little bit. And that, that will help people come to that place of pacing it early on and, 
um, you know, that kind of thing. It's just, you know, sometimes we get looking too far down the track and, and that creates that nervous energy. And if you just say, okay, I'm going to just focus on what task at hand, what I'm doing right now, one rep at a time and um, doing the best I can in this very moment. And, and that seems to, to really help people who struggle with that. What would you do, Jesse? Uh, no, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with both those things. I think that being patient, especially say for someone like me is super important. And then also if, if you are scared or you're having that off day where you're like, man, like this doesn't feel like it should. And you really need to start chunking things up and looking at like, say one, whatever, get to the next telephone pole or whatever it is, just really breaking things down and, and into really small bits that are, that are manageable instead of thinking about the entire workout, the entire weekend, and then focusing on, on those, those controllables, those things you can do in each moment in order to, to succeed in, in, in the entire thing that can help you kind of stay focused, stay on task and, and stay present and not think about, um, those, what you're going to be doing five hours from now, because if you start thinking about where you're going to be five hours from now, that that can start to be a, be a very long day. And one thing I do kind of beforehand, this, this might sound counterintuitive, but I like to play worst case scenario. And, and I like to think about like how I end up there. And then after I do that, I, I reverse it and say, okay, what do I need to do? That's in that positive light. So you guys were talking about like, you know, you always want to give athlete the right thing to, you know, I say what they want to work on, not what they don't want to do. I, for me, it helps to like start in that worst case scenario place and then come back to that, that positive line. And, and that can help me see the, see the value of the positive. Yeah, exactly. You're w more willing to accept the positive because you realize how dangerous the negative is. Yeah. I need to, I need to walk that out. I need to know just how, how long it's going to take me to walk a marathon because, because I exploded. So I need to like, I need to go all the way down that line and say, worst case scenario is pretty bad or in training, you know, maybe worst case scenario <coughs> isn't that bad. And I can explore those options, but whatever the, the situation is, I, 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 I can run through worst case scenario and say, okay, well, in this case, I'm doing a, a two hour hard ride. If I blow up, I'll make it home. Or if I'm getting ready for something longer, maybe it's like, okay, worst case scenario is pretty bad because, you know, if, if I'm at, at Kit peak by myself trying to get home in a headwind, this could be rough. So, so yeah, I mean, kind of measuring out the situation you're in and, and what worst case scenario looks like, and then what is that best path? And, and yeah, how do you, how do you take it? If, if you are an athlete who is known for extraordinary blowups or, uh, very risky race tactics. I think you, it would heed you. It would, it would work well to listen to Jesse's advice. And I think there's other people who are the exact opposite of that. And those people probably need a, di a vastly different tactic. Um, they don't need to know the worst case scenario. They need to know the best case scenario and how hard do they need to be pushing early on in order to get the most out of them. So if, if you're coaching an athlete, you really need to be aware, oh, well, what's, what is their most likely, what's the most uh, likely way that they'll fail, right? And you need to steer them towards kind of like the opposite of that, because that's probably the best way for them to succeed as well. But at the same thing, you're not telling, usually you're not telling them 
this is, you need to do the opposite of this bad thing. You might explain it once and then spend the rest of your time in Jesse's case, just hammering in pacing, go easy early on, get control of what's the appropriate pace and spend less time saying, Hey, you goofball, like you don't need to ride 400 Watts for the first five miles of an Ironman. That's not going to turn out well for you. You know, you have that talk once and then you spend the rest of the time talking specifically on what does good pacing feel like. Agreed. And also just the other thing I was talking about too, is like, like training sessions, like sometimes it can be good to be like, okay, well, worst case scenario is you're gone out for a three hour ride and you have to ride home slow. And so mm -hmm. going for it here, maybe that's, that's not, not so bad. And so sometimes it like helps people say it's okay to push it. Cause like, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to make it, this isn't, this isn't life or death or, you know, like you're doing reps on the track and it's like, well, I don't know if I can hold that. Well, let's, let's find out. Let's see, let's go for it. I, I, I think that what you're, one of the important things that you're saying here is that in training, obviously in racing, there's going to be an element of problem solving and we have to develop the mental skills to be able to problem solve. And so sometimes in training, if we, if it doesn't go right, and maybe even you set sometimes your athletes up for a bit of adversity within their training and on purpose you know, you set the pace too high or too hard, or you set them up in an environment that you know is going to be extremely challenging, or maybe something goes wrong with their equipment or all of these things. But mentally, you know, if we have only ever mentally prepared to handle the perfect, then when it's not perfect, which happens pretty often in our sport, because we're out there for a long time in the elements, then we haven't practiced what is that, you know, it can be referred to, you can, people can look up and read a ton on What's your refocus plan? How do we problem solve? I mean, endurance sports, a big, big part of it is being able to problem solve. And, and like you said, Jesse, having that um, confidence that you can go out there and maybe completely screw up the first two hours of a ride. That's just fine. You know, you're going to get home just fine. But someone doesn't know that unless they've ever been exposed to that. And they've had to problem solve that and work their way through it and know like, hey, you know what? I'm okay. I can handle this. I've had, I got a flat tire out there eight times and I figured it out and I was able to get home. I've, you know, my chain fell off. My handlebars came loose. My seat came off. Like all of these things, I blew up on the run and had to walk and drink a bunch of Coke. And then, you know what, I was able to get going again and I was fit enough to handle that and I'm okay. So, you know, I think in terms of the mental capacity and what we train in our sports, different than a short reactionary type sport with these long, long events, you know, practicing, succeeding and training is valuable and practicing failing and how to problem solve and cope with that. Not only task at hand, but mentally is a really important skill to develop. So I think that's a really important point that you made through that, through that story. Yeah. The, the most important like workouts for notes are the ones where you were very successful in a way you haven't been successful before and any workout you failed. You know, so like a successful workout is usually not all that right home about, but it is if you executed it in a new way or a different way. And basically every failure workout from me, from my perspective as a coach, when somebody like fails, it's like, great, we get to learn something. And sometimes people just like knock workouts off and they're just always pretty darn good. And so sometimes you're like, I got to figure out a way to make this person fail so that we can have like a teachable moment. And if you're, if you're just never failing for months on end, that's um, not necessarily a bad thing minus the lack of teachable moments. So then you might, as a, as a coach, purposely try to make somebody fail 
just so you can talk about it. Like, how does that feel? And how does that change your perspective on racing? And I've actually seen some pretty elite athletes destroy a, a race because they didn't have those emotional control, um, that emotional control experience for when things went wrong. So for example, I've seen someone in a, in a male professional race have a mechanical and then they male, female, I'll just use that because it was the person I was thinking of was male, but they, um, so they, they had a mechanical, they, they kind of get a little bit wound up and panicked, um, during the mechanical fix it, they jump back on their bike and suddenly, instead of very rationally understanding on how to calm themselves down and mentally build themselves back into the race in a way that was going to be successful throughout the, the entire event, they just reacted in that moment and they actually blew themselves up and, and destroyed their own race. So practicing that in training where you have a situation where it's like, okay, I'm being put under pressure and things, you know, I'm, I'm trying to stay with the group and I've just dropped something. And, you know, this is, this is like flinging off my helmet and I, you know, I don't know, I dropped my nutrition, all these kinds of things are happening, but you're able to still stay on task. Those are really important things to practice in training as well. And, and, and most of those are mental. They're not physical. They're not like, is my VO two high enough? Is my threshold working hard enough? Is my strength good enough? It's like, how are you going to handle things when you're under pressure and when things go wrong? Yeah, that's uh, in 2014, Hoffman had a, a guy essentially crash in front of him and take him out. And he spent 15 minutes on the side of the road um, in the middle of an Ironman. He was trying to win and he ended up getting third and he was like 90 seconds or two minutes off the win. And, and second place was literally like 15 seconds in front of him at the finish. But he, so he gave up 15 minutes. He was leading the race when he crashed. Um, was he, he was either leading or just behind first. It doesn't matter. The point is that he crashed and the race should have been completely over. You're not supposed to be able to give up 15 minutes to two of the best Ironman guys in the world and then beat him. Um, and he didn't beat him, but he like stayed in the race all the way through. And it was essentially just like, he was on task. He knew for months ahead of time that that, that was his day to perform. And yeah, he lost 15 minutes, but then he just said, well, how do you perform? You go right back into doing all the things you need to do to have your best race. And it doesn't really matter where you are in the race, as long as you're focusing on what do you, what does your body do to perform and what does that feel like? And you just get in there. And I'm sure he had plenty of curse words along the way and a pretty good black eye, as I recall. Um, but then you're just, you're just out there performing and it doesn't really matter where you are. So. so all these moments of adversity or bigger training blocks or larger training sessions that might be a little bit intimidating are great opportunities to, to get prepared for what you need to execute on race day, whether they're a, a success or a failure they're they're always should be kind of viewed in that lens, right? Of like an, an opportunity for you to, to practice what you're, what you're trying to do. And the thing yeah. that you can do as a coach as well is you can take note if your athletes are um, almost creating situations where every time there is a bit of adversity that they're, they're not able to overcome those and they're almost noticing too, too many of them um, and becoming um, almost kind of getting in their way where they're not able to just like every little thing is a problem and it's holding them back and not being able to just continue on and work through. And so that can be something that if you're noticing in your athletes notes, mentally, they might be just sort of 
tripping over themselves a little bit, like, oh, this went wrong and that went wrong and this went wrong and that went wrong. And you need to shift their mental focus towards, you know what, you need to just sort of put your blinders on and keep moving forward because this is a skill that is going to get yourself in trouble when it comes race day. And there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of things going wrong. And you're not, you haven't developed that skill and that mental skill to be able to just refocus and carry on. So as, a, as coaches out there, for the coaches that are listening, if you're noticing these habits and patterns within your athletes, then you can very quickly get on top of it and say, you know, we need to, we need to start recognizing, are you, are you, are you overanalyzing sort of analysis by paralysis and looking for every little thing that might be going wrong and it's holding you back? Or are you lacking the coping skills to press on and just push through all these little annoyances that might be somewhat getting in your way, but really you need to just, just keep, keep, um, keep on task. And so these are all things that as coaches, we can help our athletes with as well. And even if you're self-coach, these are things you can kind of notice in yourself. Eh? And if you're keeping that journal, you can say like, well, why did that workout go wrong? And, and try and get yourself mentally set up to succeed in those workouts in the future. Oh yeah. We're going to say something else. No, I'm just nodding in agreement. Wow. I always feel like I won when I get the agreement from both you guys. I'm like, yes, <laughs> they're not looking at me going, no, yes. <laughs> you good? Um, Just yeah, no, I, th- <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to talk over anyone. So, oh, for the listener, I'm pretty sure we've covered most of the things we wanted to cover. Jesse, uh, I just wanted to. I, I don't know if you guys have listened um, to Greg Bennett's podcast, but but his tagline is uh, something to the effect of that. The person who wins is the person who's willing to endure one moment longer. And I, I think that's totally mental, right? If you're mentally prepared to endure that last bit longer. And, and I think that that's one of the things we're kind of talking about here is, is practicing that, that in training, that being in the right headspace to, to stay in the game, focusing on task all the way till the end. But, but I always, I always kind of love that tagline because uh Yes, I think a lot of how I coach and I I definitely know how I raced or competed in whatever sport is developing where you're not trying to endure just one moment longer. You're just trying to develop your like your go pace and you just go and you go and you go and eventually you pass out or you break something. And I don't like a lot of people tell like, oh, that's like so hard to do. I really don't think it's that hard once you've developed your rhythm. And once you've developed like your cues, um, Marilyn thinks I'm crazy. I think she's shaking her head. No, I'm just, I'm sorry. I apologize for the binging. That's all. Oh, that's okay. Um, So, so like, I I know that sounds weird, but to me, like you just kind of set a pace, you set a rhythm and you know how to execute it and you know how to hold it together. If that makes sense. And eventually you slow down because that's what like your central nervous system is going to do. Um, but it's not because you're, you have a lack of will or anything like that. And you're, once you're really hitting up against it, you are basically like all of your energy is to keeping your form and your rhythm as high of a level as you possibly can. And eventually you like, you can only hold it for a couple seconds and then it falls apart and then you hold it for a couple seconds and it falls apart. And like, eventually your body just won't go. Um, I don't, that's just kind of my thought on that. It's like a different perspective. And I I don't like, 
think that that's all that crazy. And I think the more people realize like your body's designed to not let you kill yourself, you know, like you're probably like short of a handful of things in really extreme heat. You're probably not going to die from pushing yourself super high. And by probably, I mean, you're just not. Um, you're going to pass out first. And like, yeah, I've passed out a few times, but it's like, it's not that bad. You pass out and then you wake up. Um, and so like, you're just focused on those things. And if you really stay focused on what you're trying to do and those skills of what you're trying to do, that's as good as you can do. And you kind of have to be happy with it. You know, like if you, if you pull a muscle or something cramps up and your leg doesn't move anymore, you know, I've had those happen a couple of times before too. Um, like that's just how it goes. Sometimes your leg doesn't bend straight. Um, so anyways, I just wanted to throw it out there. Like, I, I think that's a real thing that's attainable for just about anyone, as long as you've really finally developed what the, the form you do need to have to hold together. Um, and you're very clear in like what your task is and you're just focused on that task for as long as you can. I like how you snuck in a little worst case scenario in there. That was good. I mean, they've all happened to me and my friends like to make fun of me for them. You know, like I lost the state road race and ended up in a ditch upside down by like whatever I lost by like a centimeter or two. That wasn't fun. Um, yeah, it had to be pulled away from, from a few situations where I couldn't move my legs anymore. But, you know, that's how it goes. Yeah, I think, you know, I think if people are looking for some, um, you know, some good guidance on this and they want to take away from this conversation, um, obviously, you know, Jesse will maybe do some, some show notes if he gets a chance, but if not, you know, if you go onto my site, I just threw him under the bus. I'm sorry, Jesse, create more work. But if he doesn't have the time to do any of the show notes and you, you're taking, you know, you're listening to this and you're thinking, how am I going to summarize this? What are some specific things? If you go onto my site under guidelines and forms, I have a really specific, um, you know, talk that I've run through some people and, and you can, you can, you know, use that as sort of a guideline to help you set yourself up through this. Um, so that's, you know, something that if you're, if you're like, okay, how do I take all of these notes and start to put a plan together for my training and apply it, go ahead and, you know, I put those up there for people to use. So go ahead and use them. If you want to message any of the three of us and say, how do I apply these, you know, feel free to reach out to us and we can help navigate you through it. And, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, there's a lot of good takeaways here. I think if you're going to start somewhere, start journaling how you feel when you do your best, start journaling how you feel when, when you don't, um, start coming up with some keywords that are in line with those things and, um, put yourself in all kinds of scenarios in your training, good, bad, and indifferent and, and take note of those things. And I think that's going to be a really good start for you to, to start to apply all these little tools that we're giving you and understand where you compete your best. Because that's the main thing, right? Understanding physically and emotionally, uh, where do you compete at your best and, and being prepared to put that into practice. Awesome. Yeah, I think that those are some great takeaways. Elliot, do you have anything to add? Well, just that, like, uh, I think you should be able to put a link to her little, uh, kind of like a slideshow. Like, it's just the website. Do that. Yeah, do it's, that. It's, it's really good. Awesome guys. Um, I guess just to, on that journaling note, I do think it's great to get in the habit of just journaling every day. And then, and then you can highlight note those, those really important journal entries, but to have that habit in place. Otherwise I know personally, if I'm not in the habit, then I have those good days and I kind of forget to write them down. So I would say 
to be successful at it, it's good to just be in the habit of, of journaling every workout. And then you have those, those entries where you're like, yes, this is actually an important one. Um, and then you can, yeah, do it. What Marilyn said, come up with some great cues from there. Um, at any rate, I will uh, have some show notes for this and uh, we'll have some great links to Marilyn's website. But if you guys do have, have questions, please reach out to any of us and we would love to help you. And then if you do have any topics you'd like to hear us uh, ramble about, let us know about that as well. Um, above and beyond that, thank you guys for spending the afternoon with me. Thanks, guys. Thanks, super fun, Thanks, super fun conversation. Cheers. I had a blast.